Welcome to Wake Forest University Department of Counseling podcast. I'm Dr. Bob Nations, and we have uh, faculty members from the department today. We're going to be talking about creativity in counseling, and I'll ask them to introduce themselves. I'm Dr. Shannon Warden. And I'm Dr. Sam Gladding. Bob, I'm pretty excited. Sam Gladding. I know. We've got Sam. I know you're a modest man, Sam, but a modest person, but, you know, in truth, Sam is the... Is Patriarch okay? Let's say Patriarch. Yeah, this guy, he he really is Wake Forest Department of Counseling. He is, yes. He is. And so uh, as we're talking to him in this segment about creativity, we'll reference some of his many, many books. I don't know, Sam, that you even have a count on how many textbooks and other creative books that he has written. But, wow, Bob, so I'm pretty excited about this. Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking about creativity with the man himself, Dr. Sam Gladding. And Sam, let's just start it off with asking you, what is creativity? Creativity has been defined in a lot of different ways, but probably the best way, I think, is a definition uh, Robert Sternberg uh, gave, and he said that creativity is uh, a two-part phenomenon. It is both something that is new and something that's useful. So if you go in the grocery store and you see a big sign that says new, it may not be creative. And if you see something that also says useful, it may not be creative um, for that time. But if you see both new and useful by George or Harriet, that's creative. (laughs) All right. New and useful. Right. All right. And for the uh, counseling field... Wow, we have to constantly, it feels like, stay creative, be creative, find the creativity inside of ourselves, the new and the useful. Um, Sam, and I know you've been teaching this for years. Uh, talk to us a little bit about why creativity is so important, important in counseling. Well, I think a profession either advances or it stagnates. So if counseling is not creative, it's not advancing. And if it stagnates, it becomes like the horse and buggy days where we no longer buy buggy whips Mm -hmm. because we no longer have horse-drawn carriages. (laughs) So it's really important for uh, counseling to to be creative, and we find that in a lot of different ways. Uh, For instance, we find um, people who have created theories or invented theories or developed theories, however we want to frame that, are usually very creative people. They seize on the moment. They see what is not there as well as what is there. And creative people many times take that intersection of what is not there as well as what is there and look at that and say, what could be there? And that possibility uh, emerges for them. So if you take everyone from Carl Rogers to Albert Ellis, to Salvador Mnuchin, etc. They have all seen what was there and what was missing and have uh, created something that is new and useful uh, for, for that, for um, counseling. Yeah, and client work is so unique in itself. You know, when you sit down with one client versus another, they're 
two separate can easily be two separate needs or two separate um, skill sets, strength sets. And so to be able to think creatively as to how am I going to approach my work with this client, or if it's a say a school counseling or school counselor, how am I going to approach my work with this student? It really does require um, a healthy amount of creativity, and, and I'm guessing somewhere in there has got to be an intentionality toward creativity, or else you might be back with the horse and buggy, those days passing us by, or those opportunities passing us by because we're not being intentional with creativity. Your point is really well made, that people who become creative or are creative are people who expect to be creative, and so if you don't have an expectation, you don't get a realization of what can be. Think of it like the uh, little song in South Pacific, uh, Happy Talk. <laughs> if you don't have a dream, how are you going to have a dream come true? If you don't expect to be creative, how are you going to be uh, creative? And so sometimes it's spur of the moment, and sometimes, and usually, it's hard work. I'll give you a quick spur of the moment in counseling. Uh, as you know, I was um, a mental health counselor for many years before I became an academic. And I once had a woman who was who would come in and she'd just talk, 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 but she'd say virtually nothing. She'd just talk about the bridge club and her dishes and her children and nothing about herself. And so finally, um, kind of on the spur of the moment, I said to her, um, you keep talking about a lot of things, but not about anything specific in regard to you or why you came here. And she looked at me and she said, I think talk is cheap. And I thought for a moment and I said, well, it used to be, but I've just doubled your fee. <laughs> And she began to talk like a magpie really? <laughs> about herself. Now, she I don't. Up the right, she picked it up, um, you know, just quite quickly. I don't know that that's the most creative thing I've ever done. And I don't think I would recommend that necessarily for most people in most places or most cases. But for that particular woman, at that particular time, it was new and it was useful. Mm -hmm. Back to that definition, new and useful. And yeah. you realize that, right, Bob? He's uh -huh. kind of conceptualizing that client, and that's what counseling students and then thereafter counselors, professional counselors do, is you're interacting with that client, trying to conceptualize who is this and what are their specific strengths and what mm -hmm. are their specific needs. Mm -hmm. And then comes in the creativity. So you, you're getting a sense after those, very, those number of meetings with her. She's just not really getting there. She's not talking anything that's really truly pertinent to why she's here. And so in realizing that, so you saw, conceptualized, who is this, what are, what are her strengths, what are her needs, you realized, and you know, for some that would have been a risk, but it, that's creative. You do have to make those sorts of moves to um, advance the work sometimes, oftentimes even. Right, most of the time though, creativity comes about as hard work. Right. We have a, a um, well, there's a, a theorist by the name of Mahala Csikszentmihalyi, and even though that name is a very hard name to I pronounce. Say, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. That's amazing. Uh, and you can't spell it, uh, so don't even try. Right, yeah. But he basically says, as do many other people, that creativity requires 
usually about 10,000 hours or 10 years in a profession. So it's not something as the old um, Mayberry RFD TV show with Goober in it would say, Shazam! <laughs> it, it doesn't happen, Shazam! Um, it happens after hard work. And so when we look at what's a symbol or a metaphor for creativity, a lot of times our culture puts it as a light bulb, but really the better uh, symbol for creativity is an iceberg. There is a lot more that has gone in to building creativity, the part you can see, than, um, than is obvious uh, from looking at the top of the iceberg. And, and so most things aren't just instantaneous. They are uh, after long and hard and careful work and a knowledge of the field. Mm -hmm. That's when they begin to come into play. Maybe you become a little bit more confident. You, you've done all that years of growing and building in your skill, but then there's that there is some progression there that happens where maybe you're more confident with being creative. That's true. Um, look at Carl Rogers, for instance. Uh, we think of him coming into prominence in uh, about 1942 or so, but Rogers had been in the field a number of years before that time, and. He had been more psychoanalytic than anything else, but um, a couple of things happened. One was the clinic he was in would divide people up, and they would, he would, um, different people would see different parts of the family. And um, finally, one day, he was talking to the mother of a child, and she said, um, "Do you ever see people individually? Um, that it's fine." for me to talk to you about the family like that, but I'd like to talk to you about myself. And um, Rogers realized, here's an opportunity. He also realized in that day that E.G. Williamson in Minnesota was uh, having, a, or had in, uh, formulated a theory called counselor-centered theory, where you didn't ask people what they wanted to be, you told them what they should be based on a number of tests. And in fact, his theory was uh, sometimes referred to as three interviews and a cloud of dust because the first interview, <laughs> they would talk. The second interview, he'd give them test. The third interview, he'd tell them what they should be. And the cloud of dust was they left. They're gone. Yeah. But, <laughs> that but was counseling-centered. That or was. Counselor-centered. Counselor-centered. Yeah. Uh -huh. But Rogers realized with his first called non-directive and then client-centered and now person-centered theory, that um, it was more important uh, for people to be able to express themselves um, in, and talk about themselves and to find answers within themselves than for someone to either um, tell them what they should be or for someone to interpret uh, how they were based on uh, Freudian theory. So it seems like then there's a natural evolution mm -hmm. of sorts where you're yes. progressing in your profession and you begin through conversations, through training, and, you know, as, as new insight comes to us, you become more creative that way. There's intentionality. And Bob, this makes me think there's hope for someone who would say, I'm not creative. Mm -hmm. Right? Don't mm -hmm. you know? I mean, yeah, You're bound absolutely. to get that sometimes, Sam, of I'm not creative. What do I do? Yeah, because I think the students that might be 
listening to this or potential students for the master's online on campus um, mental health counseling program are thinking about this well how can I become creative you know what what is it that, that I can do to and and what does it look like you know what does creativity look like in counseling um, and I'd like to hear some more about that Sam you gave one example of doubling the fees of somebody and I think I'm going to use that next time yeah, so <laughs> but <laughs> But what would, what would be some examples of creativity in counseling? What does it encompass? Well, um, let me just uh, say, as you were talking, I was thinking of Ringo Starr. And uh, the whole thing about Ringo Starr is he has that great little song, I've got to uh, pay your dues if you want to sing the blues. <laughs> and you know, it don't come easy. <laughs> don't come easy. Well, yes. you've got to pay your dues. You've got to be in the field for yes. a while. But... Uh, here's the good part. While you're paying your dues, you begin to, again, see what's there and what's not there. Let me give you an example of somebody who I think was very creative and um, who um, saw what was there and not there and who literally kind of stumbled upon something but realized when she did that it was a important something. And that's Insu Kimberg. Insu <laughs> Kimberg as we know, was one of the uh, people who formulated uh, solution-focused uh, theory. And one day, she was working with a client, and she was not getting anywhere. So she said, just out of frustration, if you woke up tomorrow and everything was better, how would you know that? And the lights went on in this person's eyes and the activity in the, her brain, and she described to Insu Kimberg what that would be like. And um, Insu Kimberg said, you know, this is kind of a miracle question. And she uh, tried it several more times and found out it was working. And we know that the uh, miracle question is now a part of that theory. Uh, and that theory evolved uh, from strategic uh, family uh, therapy. Um, and so it was uh, somebody who came up with uh, creativity, not expecting necessarily to come up with that, but realizing that once she had stumbled upon it, that it was like a miner uh, mining gold, that this was uh, something that was very valuable and something useful and something that could uh, move on. Uh, from there. That's right. New mm -hmm. and useful. Mm -hmm. I got that right. New and useful. New and useful. Just recognizing this is a need and it seems in many cases there is that uh, challenge, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I guess that makes mm -hmm. me think of the, um, what is it, what do we say about the mother of invention? Necessity. 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 <laughs> there it is, right? And so there's that need um, that came about there uh, with Insu Kimberg and, and I'm thinking too, Sam, as you're talking, the miracle question is one of those that many students uh, gravitate to. Well, they might graduate in as well, but they, <laughs> they gravitate too because it's so clear. Uh, it's such a concrete tool that they understand, they see the value of it, and they oftentimes are early in their practice comfortable with uh, solution-focused approaches and with the miracle question in particular. And I think, again, that shows um, the not only the newness of it at that moment, but its, um, its value across time 
and the usefulness of it across time that it is that students do gravitate very naturally to that um, so you know there again there's hope of a person can be creative you don't even know at the moment that a creative idea or intervention is going to be born but it takes that readiness I suppose that um, ex expectation that it could happen at any moment uh, that it's sometimes coming out of need and who knows where it's going but if it if it really is new and useful it oftentimes has some traction for time to come that's true and, and one of the other things about creativity is this that you need a lot of ideas so it's diversity 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 mm -hmm. and then you need to be able to select the good ideas from bad ideas or the ideas that just aren't going to, to work. And so uh, creativity is one of those aspects of life that, again, doesn't come from just a single moment or a single idea. It comes from a lot of ideas, and it's social. Mm -hmm. So if you think of Florence, Italy in the 14th century, or if you think of Silicon Valley in the 21st century, there's a social aspect to uh, both of those environments. So find yourself a, uh, an environment that is social and where people wanting to be creative, like, oh, let's just say Wake Forest yes. <laughs> in the counseling program. Absolutely. And if you find that environment or live in that environment or study in that environment, your chances of becoming more creative are uh, enhanced about a million percent. Mm. And I, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the program, Sam. I think sometimes, Bob, the student is so, um, some, some, I'm going to say overwhelmed of, okay, I know I want to do this. How do I find the right program? And how do I, can I really invest two years or three years? And, you know, they're, they're, they're making some big life decisions. And so um, in the midst of those big decisions, we're hopeful that we're coming to them as a program saying, here we are. We're very um, student-centered, as, as Sam, you said, of being client-centered. We're very student-centered. We're very invested for years and years now in training the best counselors. We offer the clinical mental health counseling uh, master's degree, and we offer the school counseling master's degree. And, you know, so we're, we're doing that at a high level, but we ho hope students are hearing, okay, this is a program where I can fit in. This is a program that can stretch me. This is a program that, that I need to get to that professional goal that I'm pursuing. And so I love that invitation in essence there that you're offering up is that we are a creative environment. We want to be an environment that fosters creativity. Um, so while they're overwhelmed with a lot of logistics, I hope too they're recognizing, um, and certainly as they get further into the program, that this really is a place that is student-centered, trying to be creative in all the different ways that we try to be creative. But as much as anything trying to foster a sense of creativity because they're going to need that in the profession. They're going to need to be creative. Very much. If you, um, I was once in the Army and as you know the Army is by the numbers. You do things according to certain rules, certain numbers and you know the Army would always tell you what you were going to do beforehand, they'd tell you what you were doing while you were doing it and they'd tell you what you did afterwards. Well, we're not going to do that <laughs> at Wake Forest, nor is it a very good idea if you want to be creative yeah. to um, try to do that. I will say that um, this is my fourth university, and uh, I find my colleagues and the students here very creative, very, very open to what's new and useful, and how can I get there? 
Uh, so it's it's really good. It's a really good environment. Well, and too, you're uh, reminding me, Sam, of something of great importance is that we have the cohort model, Bob. And so mm-hmm. when a student signs on with us, they're going to matricul- matriculate through their program typically in a cohort, meaning they've come in with that same X number of people, and they're going to go from start to finish typically with that same mm-hmm. group of people. Yes. And when you do have that sort of connection, and Sam, as you're saying, as you're hearing those ideas, as you're uh, being encouraged to support one another, you're being supported with, with the um, the ideas and the uh, the approach, the creative approaches. So wanting you to be, uh, excuse me, guys, wanting you to be creative, but also uh, wanting us to be an open environment for creativity. There you are in that cohort. So really, it becomes a great. Um, feeding ground or a support center for fostering creativity you're with those people they they you begin to know who they are you create some sense of safety it's a diverse group um, so that creativity hopefully really can take flight well I think it really does and when you're talking about flight and feeding and all of that <laughs> I, I have bluebirds uh, in my backyard uh-huh. right now and so I notice what they do and the parent birds are always stuffing things down the throats of those little uh, fledglings but we don't stuff anything down anybody's throat (laughs) at Wake Forest Um, we give you a lot of information but um, finding people who have different ideas than than you do a heterogeneous group uh, which we try to foster uh, at Wake Forest always good it makes you uncomfortable in some ways but it makes you think in many other ways and it's thinking especially thinking in metaphors that uh, makes a difference in how you uh, progress as a creative person I'm, mm. I'm a big, big fan. We yes. Are, <laughs> I think uh, oftentimes everything comes back to metaphor, Bob. So, uh, you know, I'm a fan. I'm, Sam, I'm, years ago I had the great fortune of studying under you at Wake. I did my master's at Wake Forest from 96 to 98. And I think I came to the program creative, and I think I was helped to be more creative, in particular with metaphor. Um, and I, I have to just uh, thank you for that great influence that you have had in my professional life and personal life. That's great. My pleasure. Well, Bob, so not only is Sam big in these subjects of creativity and, and metaphor is part of that, but he is also not only big in talking it, he's big in writing it. Mm-hmm. Sam, tell us a little bit about either some of your books or some of those go-to sources that students might want to uh, think about in terms of helping advance their understanding and practice of creativity. Well, there are a number of sources uh, out there. Uh, I've certainly written one of them, but it's not the end-all be-all on creativity. It's it's called um, the Creative Arts and Counseling and it's in its fifth edition now uh, so it's uh, fairly, the, the ink is barely dry. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty new right now. But let me, let me um, say that um, a lot of people aren't going to want to wade through a book like this uh, because of time and other things that are on their agenda. So I would uh, advise going to uh, the Association uh, for Creativity and Counseling, the ACC. And I know at Wake Forest we think of the ACC as the Atlantic (laughs) Coast Conference, but it's also the Association for Creativity and Counseling. They have a wonderful journal called the Journal of Creativity and Mental Health, Mm -hmm. and we all want good mental health, and creativity is a part of that. 
they have um, an excellent website and uh, so the journal and the website and they also have an annual conference so uh, there are a lot of things that um, you can do to help yourself uh, be more creative and learn more about uh, sp specific types yeah. of uh, creativity I always kind of have a hard time with S's. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's wonderful. That's a great set of resources then for uh, for folks who are interested in advancing creativity. And I think we most all of us have to be interested, Bob, in advancing mm -hmm. our creativity. It's, it's such a uh, core part of counseling, so important in counseling. So um, those are great resources. Mm -hmm. And Sam, I think, uh, Bob, do we have other thoughts or questions we want to get to here? Or Sam? If not, we're going to wrap up. Okay. Yeah. Sam, thank you so much. And we appreciate you being with us. Oh, oh wow. I'm, I'm glad, too. I'd, I'd love to do a wrap going out. But I think, <laughs> I think maybe I'm not that creative right now. Oh, okay. But uh, thank you so much for having me. Mm, thank you, Sam. Thank you.